and, and we're in a series on prayer. And so we're just going to further talk about the importance of prayer. Uh, we started a series last week. It's titled Learning to Pray. And, and in this series, we're learning to pray by looking at the very prayers of Paul. And Steph, is that book next to you? Just throw it. Uh, and so, uh, largely this series is based upon a book called uh, Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. He takes the prayers of Paul and he just walks through them and talks about what if our prayers are shaped by, by the Apostles Paul's prayers, by Scripture. What if they're shaped and informed and grounded in Scripture? Uh, so we're giving away a, a one of these books every, every week. So if you want that, uh, after the sermon, please come up and grab that book. That one is yours. And if you miss it, we'll be giving away one next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. Uh, but it's a very, very helpful book on, on prayer. And one observation we made last week as we're looking at prayer, specifically Paul's prayer, is that Paul does not pray for pleasant results, but he prays for deep realities. Meaning, like, like our, our mealtime prayers so often are, God, give me a good day, good food, good time, and, and then we say amen. And that's like the content. And unfortunately, that's often what characterizes all of our prayers. And when we come to Paul's prayers, he never play, prays for just the, the pleasant results. Not that it's necessarily wrong, but he's always praying for deeper realities that we'd be transformed by the very knowledge of God, that we'd grow into the image of Christ and live like Christ. And so today we're going to be looking at his prayer uh, to the church in Colossians. Now, interestingly, Paul's never met these people. He's heard about them, he knows about them, and he knows some of the challenges that they're facing, but personally, he does not know them. So I want you to think, what would you pray for Christians that you do not know? Like, even in this room, there's people that you might kind of know or, or be familiar with, but we don't know everyone. How can we, as a church, pray for everyone in this church? What are the things that we would pray for? How do we pray for the other churches in Thurston County? How do we pray for missionaries in other parts of the world who are often facing very different challenges and struggles than what we're facing right here in Lacey, Washington? I want you to think about what is it that every Christian needs? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. What is it that we need? What should we be praying for one another? What should you be praying for yourself? And so the main point this morning is that God gives spiritual wisdom to those who pray that they would live a God-honoring life. Or see that God gives us wisdom and knowledge when we pray for it. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and encourage you to stand. And we're going to read scripture together. We stand every week. Uh, for exercise, no, not really. Uh, make sure you're awake. No, we stand because this is God's word. It comes to us inspired by God so that we'd be equipped for every work that he's called us to do. And so we do so in honor and recognition of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So starting in verse 9, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with, not, with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray. Father, Father, I just ask, give us wisdom and knowledge today. Lord, Paul's prayer is that the church of Colossae would, would have wisdom, would have knowledge, would have understanding. And so that is my prayer today. And as we see in your scripture, when we pray for wisdom, you will give wisdom. And so God, I just ask, fill us with wisdom, fill us with knowledge. May we see and behold the beauty of the gospel. May we understand why it is that we can live the Christian life, how it is that you strengthen us. May we, may we understand that, God, because of the knowledge that we have in you, we can be overflowing with joy, and we can endure trials with patience and with joy. God, give us understanding today, and may we see the beauty of prayer. May all of us grow in the, the practice and the discipline of prayer, and may we, like Paul, pray without ceasing for ourselves and for one another. In your name, Jesus, amen. You'll maybe seated. So as we dig in, I, I, I want to just notice something from the very beginning. Paul says he prays continuously from, for this church. He says, from the day I've heard about you. So meaning from the day I heard that you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the day that you have faith in God, I have prayed for you unceasingly. So I, I just want to ask you, what is that? What does that make you think of, praying unceasingly? Is that scary? Does it seem crazy? Does it seem impossible? Is unceasing prayer one of those things that only like the biblical writers, like the Apostle Paul would do, but surely that's not what we're all supposed to do? I mean, just think through that. Like, like where do you, how do you wrestle with those words, unceasing prayer? You know, just be honest with yourself. Because what we see in Scripture is that every single believer is called to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. I'm just going to read some verses here. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. The command to the church is that we pray without ceasing. Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2. So at the end of this letter, Paul says, and now he's, he's writing to them. And he's asking them, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6.18, right after that section where we read about the armor of God. And he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then Luke 18 verse 1, uh, Luke is introducing a parable that Jesus is about to to teach and are about to give, and this parable is on prayer. And, and this is how Luke introduces it. He says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So do you ever get discouraged when you pray? Do you ever wonder, should I keep praying? Does God hear me? Do I continue to pray? Literally, Jesus gives a prayer that says, you ought to always be praying and not to grow discouraged. So it answers those very questions and hesitations that we have. But all throughout scripture, we see unceasing prayer is the continuous act of every believer. Which means, if you believe in Christ, you're called to pray without ceasing. Prayer is a gift. Prayer is a privilege for every single Christian. So you then might say, but what would I pray for? 
Like, what does that even look like? Pray without ceasing. What is it that every Christian needs? And if you remember last week, we kind of broke up uh, the, the prayer into a couple sections. We start with the, with the request, and now we're going to look at the result. And so we'll start with the request, and then we'll look at the result. So that's how we're going to break up the prayer today. So we'll look at the content. What is it that we should pray for? So the request, Paul's request. This is what he says I'm praying for you. We pray for wisdom and knowledge. If you look at verse 9, Paul says... So from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul says, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have knowledge of his will. I want you to have understanding. So why is it that Paul prays this? Well, the church is facing false teaching. In fact, we're not going to read it now, but if you go back and read Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23, you'll read the false teaching that they're encountering. And basically, they have people that's coming to the church, and they're saying, we're really glad you believe in Jesus. Jesus is great. Yeah, he died for you, rose again. That's a good step forward in the right direction. However, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be qualified for your salvation, if you don't want all the other gods to disqualify you, you need to do these other things. You need to eat this, not do this. You need to celebrate these festivals. You need to touch this and don't touch that. They're adding all of these additional commands to Scripture on what it is to be saved. They're not denying the cross. They're denying the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus. And anything that undermines the sufficiency of the gospel, of, of Jesus dying on the cross and rising three days later, is a false gospel. Anything that denies the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Anything on top of that is heresy. And so that's exactly what the church is facing. In fact, later in Colossians 1, Paul, as he's, as he's expounding the greatness of Jesus, will say in verse 24, the fullness of God dwells in him. So Jesus is man, and he's God. He's the only one who could actually come, die on the cross, raise from the dead three days later so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that Paul in Acts would say, there is no other name other than Jesus Christ in which you could be saved. And anything on top of that, anything to add to that, is heresy and leads us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question then is how is the church going to recognize this? How will they know that these guys coming, probably with good, eloquent teaching, and probably sound somewhat convincing, how are they going to know it's wrong? How are they going to know it's false? How will they be alert to false teaching? And the answer is this prayer that they'd be filled with the knowledge and the wisdom of God. And one thing we can realize is that false teaching was not unique to the Colossian church. For 2,000 years, we've seen the church bombarded with false teaching. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, are, are continually inundated with false teaching. Idolatry is the main sin of Israel, where they're looking at other gods or adding other religions to the Jewish faith. So all throughout history, we see God's people are wrestling with false teaching, and there's nothing different today. We're bombarded by it from every single way. And I just want you to think just briefly about some of the lies 
and some of the things that we hear in culture at all times. We face the lies of the prosperity gospel, of Roman Catholicism, of atheism. We have to respond to abortion. We talked about that a little bit today. We must talk about transgenderism. We must respond to the absurdity that all masculinity is toxic. And yet, depending upon how we respond to some of these things, we might lose our job, we might lose our friendship, we might lose social status. We must respond to the idea that there's no objective truth. We must respond uh, to the fact that our young men are being taught, you can stay home, play video games, and never grow up. We're being told to keep our faith at, um, at home in a closet. We don't discuss it in public, certainly not at work. We have brothers and sisters in other parts of the country or in other parts of the world that are being threatened with loss of home, imprisonment, and death. And we have the internet. It's filled with religious information. You can jump on YouTube right now and you can read or you can watch thousands of religious videos that are all false and leading you away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that's determined to undermine our faith at every single level. So how are we to stand firm? How are you, how am I, how are we to know what's true, what's false? And on top of all this, because of technology, which I'm not against technology, I I preach from my iPad, I have my iPhone with me, like I love technology. But it comes at us so fast now, all this information. And it can feel so incredibly overwhelming, as if I'm just surrounded by it. What can I do? Can I do anything? Is there any hope at all? How are we supposed to respond? How are you supposed to respond as parents and shepherding your children in the midst of such chaos? How are we to stand firm in the gospel? What do we need so that we're not washed away in a tidal wave of social, political, cultural, and religious lies that come at us every day? every moment and the answer is we we need paul's prayer where paul says i pray that you would have the knowledge of his will with all understanding and wisdom that's what we need when paul says that he prays that we're filled with the knowledge of god's will he's saying i want you to know the truths of the gospel of jesus christ that's the knowledge of god's will we know that because if you if you go down to colossians 2 notice what paul says he says in verse 1 I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. So another church he hasn't been to. And he says, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So when Paul says, Paul used the word mystery, every time Paul uses the word mystery, he's referring to what was unknown in the Old Testament, what was mysterious, has now become known in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And Paul says Jesus is the very wisdom, he's the treasure chest of all God's wisdom and knowledge. So if we want to know the knowledge of God, If we want to know wisdom and understanding, he's saying, look to Jesus. In Jesus, you will see all the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Which means, the more we understand the gospel of Jesus, the more we know who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished at his first coming, what he's doing when he comes again, we will have spiritual knowledge 
and understanding so that, look at verse 4, we will not be deluded by plausible arguments. So there's all these lies that are coming at us, religious lies, social lies, cultural lies, all of these things. And Paul says, you want to stand firm? The anchor is the wisdom of Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus. You know Jesus and you will not fall prey to all the lies that are coming at us from so many directions. And the word wisdom and the word understanding are, are, are Paul's way of saying, this is how you apply that knowledge. So he says, I want you to have knowledge, but don't just have knowledge. I want you to have wisdom and understanding so you know how to apply the truths of the gospel to your life and everything that you go through. But here's the thing. You can't accomplish this on your own. This is not a knowledge that you can have. This is not a knowledge that if you just read enough, if you study enough, if you try hard enough, that you can achieve. If you look, the words that you may be filled are in what's called the divine passive, which doesn't mean a lot to you if you don't take Greek. But if you take Greek, it means a lot and it's really helpful. What he means is this is given to you by God. So this is not something you obtain in your power, in your own effort, but this is a gift from God. So he says, I'm praying that God would continue to unleash his grace in your life by giving you knowledge and wisdom and and, and understanding that all comes to you through Jesus Christ. This is a knowledge that comes to us by prayer. If we're going to grow in this knowledge, in this wisdom, and we won't be deluded by the arguments in, in culture around us, we must pray that we'd grow in the knowledge of God's will with all wisdom and understanding. And so Paul, he gives this request. This is what he's praying for. And then he's going to give the results. And I want you to think of these results as an invitation to why we should pray without ceasing. In fact, my, my alternative title was a glorious invitation. Because that's really what he's about to say. He's like, I pray for you unceasingly that you would have all this knowledge. And when, you, and when God gives this knowledge, this is what's going to happen in your life. And so I want you to think of these results of this prayer as an invitation. This is why we should pray at all times. So the first thing, and this is kind of the, the big umbrella of what Paul's about to unpack. And he says the result is that you would walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So walk is just a way of saying the way you live. And and when he says your calling, that's a way of referring to your salvation. So Paul is saying, when you pray for knowledge, God's going to answer that, and you're going to live in such a way that your faith is obvious. That's obvious that you're a Christian, that you're saved by his grace. Prayer is the means in which you will live like Jesus. We won't live like Jesus if we are not praying that the truths of God's word would be applied to our life. Again, you know people, I know people, the Pharisees are an example of people who know the scriptures, but they did not live like Jesus. So there's something other than just reading that must be done, right? Just reading left to right, top to bottom is not transformative. It's prayerfully reading. Praying before we read, during our reading, and after our reading saying, God, all that I am reading is your word. I'm asking that you apply it to my life. Give me knowledge. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding so that as I put this book down, I would now walk in your character and live like you. That's how we read the Bible. 
If we're not in prayer, we will not live like Christ. And so, Paul then says, let me tell you what this knowledge-filled, God-pleasing life looks like. If you have all knowledge and you're living this worthy life of your calling, what would that look like? When he says, you will do good works. You will do good works. And I just want you to think, I just want to talk briefly about some of the works that Paul will talk about later in Colossians and just that we see in Scripture. Husbands, you're called to love your wives and lay down your life for them. Wives, you're called to submit to your husbands in everything as Christ loves the church. Children, you're called to love and to honor your parents. When we go to work, every single one of us is to work hard, not so that we please the physical people around us, but work hard knowing that we work to please God. We're to display the fruit of the Spirit in every single relationship that we are in. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me ask you, does that characterize all of your relationships? Always? Like, that'd be amazing, right? But I think we all know, no, I don't, I don't do that all the time. But we're to display the fruit of the Spirit at all times with every relationship we're in. We're told to turn the other cheek when insulted. We're told to share the gospel in all places. We're told to be quick to listen, slow to anger, and slow to speak. That one's easy, right? Probably not. I mean, there's tons of commands when we come into Scripture. Colossians is filled with them. Colossians 1 and 2 is like theology. Colossians 3 and 4 is what does it live, look like to live out this theology? So how are we to obey these commands? We read them in Scripture, but how do we obey them? We pray. We pray. The only way we will truly obey the commands of Scripture and display the character of Christ in our life is through prayer. So what this means is I don't, I, I, don't, um, I don't read scripture and it says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I go sit and say, well, when Christ now moves me to love my wife as he loves the church, then I'll do that. Because that's sometimes how we operate, right? Well, if, if God wants me to do that, he's going to move me to do that. No, he's moving you to do that, he's telling you to do it in scripture. So what happens is I read that in Scripture, and then I pray, God, help me to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And then what do I do? I go love my wife knowing that God gives grace that I would love her as Christ loves the church. And yes, I'll do it imperfectly and have to keep working and practicing and depending upon his grace, but knowing that he's working in me. When we read Scripture that says we're to go share the gospel and make disciples of all nations, we don't go, well... If God wants me to make disciples, he'll just bring them right to me, and I'll do that. No, when we're, we're out and about and wherever we go, we, we share the gospel, we share the hope that we have, not because we're really good at it, not because we're eloquent, not because we have all the answers, but because when we read that in Scripture, we go, God, help me to make disciples. Give me boldness that wherever I am, I would desire to share the hope and the truth of your son, Jesus. And so when I'm out and about and I run into people, I will share the hope of Christ with them, not because I'm good, but trusting that his grace is working in me, answering that prayer right then. That's how we do good works. 
listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So only when we abide in Christ will we bear fruit. And we, we, we bear fruit when we abide in Jesus. To abide in Jesus is to trust in him and believe that he's the son of God. He's the one who's truly saved us from our sins. To abide in Jesus means that we trust that he's working in us, giving us the grace and the strength and the mercy to do the very commands that he's given us. Does that make sense? So we abide in prayer. When we come to God and we read his commands and we go, God, I want to live this way. And I'm trusting that you're now working in me so that I would do this as I go about my very life. Prayer is one of the very means in which we abide in Jesus. Prayer aligns us with the will of God. If we're to be a people known for love, known for obedience, known for our good works, we must be a prayerful people. And we pray without ceasing. Number two, he says, we will continue to grow in knowledge. I want you to think about this. If we pray for knowledge, what will God do? This is our interactive moment. You're all like, wait, do we say something? All right, so we'll, 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 we'll rewind. Pray for God's knowledge. What will he do? He literally says, God will give you knowledge. Like, that's amazing. Like, you ever wondered, does God answer prayer? Yes. If you ask for wisdom and knowledge, what will God do? Give it to you. Who doesn't need more wisdom and knowledge? Have you peaked? Do you have everything figured out? You're like, oh, man, no matter what situation I'm in, I'm good. God, I got this one. Like, just like last week, we, we pray that we, have more, that we abound more and more in love because none of us have peaked in love. Guess what? You're not a genius yet either. None of us have peaked in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We're to continue to come to him in prayer. And guess what? When we pray to him, he will answer that prayer. So many people remain in ignorance of God's word because they fail to pray for wisdom and understanding. Yet this prayer invites us to pray. I want you to think, it's inviting you. Pray for wisdom and God will give you wisdom. Let me ask you. You think you would love your wife in a more godly way if you prayed for knowledge of God? Do you think you would love your husband in a more godly way if you prayed for the knowledge of God? Do you think you would better know how to shepherd your children, shepherd your family, love those around you if you prayed for the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God? I mean, could we not all use more wisdom in our marriage and our parenting and how we love our neighbors, those at work, wherever we're at? Would that not be beneficial to know that we're growing the knowledge of God, that we'd be able to respond as God does in the very situations of life? So just this last week, my wife and I, we, we got away for a few days, and we went up into the mountains, and it was a lot of fun. And we go into this small little town, which was super cute, and had all these fun stores. And so we go into one, and, and we began talking to this lady who is there. And we just start talking to her about what's life like here. And I mean, it was just fun. She was pretty talkative. And so she began to share that she grew up um, 
in, in Episcopalian church. Her dad was a priest, and so we started talking about that, and then she told us about a tragedy that happened just recently in that town where there was two teenage kids who were snow skiing, and one of them went off a cliff and died, and the other one, miraculously, who was following right behind that child, stopped on the cliff, and he hung to a tree branch for five hours before being rescued. And so she goes, how could this happen? Where is God in this? How is God good when he let this kid die and let this kid live? And she's wrestling with that, and her theology wasn't strong, and so as she's sharing her, her, um, her understanding or her conclusions, they're moving her away from trusting in God and really compromising the character of God. And so all I'm doing at that moment is going, God, just I, I need help right now. If I'm going to say anything of benefit to this woman, I need your grace on how to love her, on to show her your worth and value and beauty at this moment, that she can be drawn to you at a moment of tragedy and not move away from you. So that's just my prayer as I'm listening to her, and then as she stopped, we were able to respond just in love to her. We need to pray if we're going to be able to respond in a way to help others know the beauty and the character of Christ. Um, last night, my wife and I were sitting around the TV, and Chris and I, we talked about it briefly this morning. There, there was a, a, a horrific fire over in Tumwater where a family of six, five of them died. And, I mean, it's just total tragedy, total tragedy. How do we begin to understand that? And we know there's a ton of people that are living in this area that are going to have questions, where's God in that? How are you going to answer those questions? How are you going to be an instrument of God's grace and lead people to the truth and the knowledge of Christ at that moment? It's not going to be because you're really wise and quick to speak, and eloquent with your words. It's only going to happen as we're going, God, I need knowledge of your will right now, and wisdom, and understand that I would show your love at this moment, and I would know the words that are needed at this moment so these people would hear your love at right now. We need God's knowledge at all times. We must pray for wisdom. Listen, you will not grow in wisdom and knowledge apart from prayer. In James chapter 4, verse 2, James says, this is the brother of Jesus, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. I just want you to think about it. We, we said this last week. Prayerlessness is pridefulness. If you're not praying, then you're trusting in yourself more than God. And how many, I just want you to think, how many times are you going through life trusting in your knowledge rather than God's knowledge? How many wrong decisions are we making because we fail to come to God in prayer? I just want you to think about that. That's literally saying, come to me. Ask for me wisdom and knowledge. I will give you wisdom and knowledge. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask, which implies there are some things we will only receive if we come to God in prayer. We're not earning it through prayer. God gives us grace to pray. So the very fact that we pray is a work of God in our life. And as we pray, we're asking God to give us the very things that he promises to give us when we pray. 
If we're going to know how to love others, how to respond to tough questions and situations, we need the very wisdom and the very knowledge of God. Think of it like putting gas in your car. When you buy your car, do you just put gas in it once? And you're like, it's good. It's going to work forever now. That'd be, that'd be just dumb, wouldn't it? It would be ridiculous. All of a sudden, you have a giant paperweight somewhere. Maybe in your driveway, hopefully, but probably just somewhere else because it stopped. It'd be useless at that moment, right? There'd be no power in it. Same for us. If we're not praying for the wisdom and very knowledge of God continuously, as Paul says, pray without ceasing that you, can, that you have the knowledge of his will. Remember, God is infinite, so his knowledge is infinite. So you'll never tire of his knowledge. You'll never say, oh, good, I'm equal with God now. No, totally right. We're always going to need more, and God is so gracious and so good and so glorious. Every time we ask, he's just going to pour it upon us that we would know his will more and more. Number three, he says, you will persevere in trials with patience and joy. Look at verse 11. Paul says, you will be strengthened with power according to his glorious might, not your might. Isn't that good? According to his might for all endurance and patience with joy. When you pray for the knowledge of God, God will give you his knowledge, which will strengthen you so that whatever trial you are in, you will be able to endure with patience and joy. A while back, we were preaching through the book of Hebrews. If you remember, let me read Hebrews 10, verse 32. It says, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, meaning after you believed in Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. They knew something. They had a knowledge of God. That because of this knowledge, that no matter even the fact that they were in prison, or they knew people were in prison, or because all their property was taken from them, they had a trust in Christ that anchored them. And this isn't because they were just better and smarter than us. It's because they had a knowledge that comes from God, that they receive through prayer, that they would know, oh no, even though we have lost all things, we can go through with patience and joy because Christ came, left leaving everything. So for the joy set before him, he would what? Endure the cross so we who believe in him would have eternal life. And though we might lose everything in this life, we have everything in heaven with Christ. You won't, understand trials and sufferings by worldly wisdom. This is, this is what worldly wisdom says. You got a bad roll of the dice. Or, well, you did something wrong. Therefore, something wrong happened to you. Karma-based relationship. There's no hope. There's no, there's no comfort. There's no truth in that kind of foolishness. What we need is godly wisdom to know how do we endure at those times. And the thing is, God promises, when you pray for wisdom, what will he do? Give you wisdom. Give you wisdom. Number four, 
He says, you'll be thankful in all circumstances because of the gospel. Look at verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father. Get this. A result of praying for God's knowledge and wisdom is that you will grow in thankfulness. Have you ever met a bitter, prayerful person? Just think about that. Like bitter, prayerful people, that's like jumbo shrimp, right? Like it's like, does that work? Except with bitter, prayerful people, it really doesn't work. There's something about when we pray that we grow in the knowledge and wisdom of God, that we're growing in the assurance of our salvation. We're growing in the joy of what God has done for us. We're we're the joy of knowing that he is returning and that we will spend eternity with him. It really, as we spend time praying that we grow in the knowledge of God, we grow in the thankfulness of all that God has done for us through Christ. In fact, in verses 12 through 14, Paul's going to summarize the gospel, and he's going to give us three words. And I just want you to think about these three words, and at the end, I'm going to tell you, these three words should be in your prayers. I want you to at least sometimes, at least once a day, use these three words in your prayer, thanking God for what he has done for you. The first, prayer, the first one, well, let me read verses 12 through 14, and we'll walk through. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So think about three words. One, you're qualified. You're qualified to be saved by the grace of God. There is nothing in you that either drew God to you or kept God away from you. You get that? You didn't earn his favor, and because of the way you live, you didn't push his favor away from you. God is gracious, and by his grace, you have been saved by him. And you were saved and given the very inheritance of God so that you would share all that Christ has. That's what Romans 8, 17 says, that we share in the very inheritance of the Son. So all that Jesus has, he shares with you, which is why in Revelation chapter 3, he says to the church of Laodicea, if you conquer, meaning if you persevere in your faith, you will sit with me on my throne as I sit with my Father on whose throne? His throne. Every believer sits on the throne of God with Christ. You share in the full inheritance of God. And you're qualified all because of the grace of Jesus. All because of his grace. Number two, you're delivered. At your salvation, Jesus delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and he brings you into the eternal kingdom of light where he dwells. Scripture says we're all born in the kingdom of darkness. We're all born following the prince of the power of the air, meaning Satan, living in a rebellious way to God. Jesus comes as a warrior He conquers sin, he conquers death, he conquers Satan. In Revelation, he says, I now hold the keys of what? Death and Hades. I've conquered it all. And everyone who believes in me has eternal life. They live in my kingdom. And they're citizens of my kingdom. And they have eternal life that can never be revoked. Number three, you're redeemed. It says in Christ you've been forgiven of your sins. This is why when, when the heresy that comes to Colossian church, you need to believe in something other than Jesus. No. No, because there's no other name than Jesus in which we can be saved. To say that we need something other than Jesus is say the fullness of God in Christ was not enough. His death, his resurrection was not enough. 
And yet the whole point of Colossians is saying, no, no, Jesus is enough. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who sustains everything. He's the one who everything exists for. And he's the one who saves you and brings you into his kingdom. And he's forgiven you of your sins that you would have the righteousness of Jesus and never again would you be guilty before God. So when Paul says at the end of Romans 8, there is nothing that shall separate you from the love of Christ because you've been fully redeemed by the blood of Christ. So we have the words qualified, delivered, and redeemed. And Paul says, I pray unceasingly that you would have this knowledge so you would know you're qualified, so you would know that you're delivered, so you would know you're redeemed. And as we know these things, it moves us to go, I need grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Because everything that comes to us is through grace. And so when Paul says, I pray with you without ceasing, and he commands us to pray without ceasing, we do that because we realize we are weak people who deserve the wrath of God. And yet, by grace we're saved, and by grace he continues to give us love and knowledge every single day. And he promises that when you come to him in prayer and ask, I need knowledge that I would do good works. I need knowledge that I would live a pleasing life to you. I need knowledge so I would endure the trials that you've placed before me with joy. I need knowledge so that I would continue to grow in knowledge. I need knowledge to grow in my thankfulness. We're praying for God's grace every day. So I'd say, why would we not want to pray without ceasing? So I want to, th- I want to remind you Paul's praying this for the church, though, right? We're to pray it for ourselves, but this is how you pray for everyone in this room. This is how you pray for your wife. This is how you pray for your husband. This is how you pray for your children. This is how you pray for the church. This is how you pray for the saints in Thurston County. This is how you pray for the saints all over the world. This is my prayer that I pray every day for my wife and kids. They give them knowledge, give them knowledge, give them knowledge. May they know you. May they see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. That's my prayer every day for them. May they grow in the knowledge of you. May they see you as beautiful. May they hunger after you in your word. Because the more we know Christ in his word, the more we will live a life that pleases him, will honor him, and we'll share in the very joy of Christ. So let's pray without ceasing, knowing Jesus is the treasure chest of all wisdom and all knowledge. And every time you pray, he will give you knowledge. Every time you pray, you'll grow in wisdom. So let us pray now as we close, and let us pray for this wisdom, and then we'll partake of communion. Father, you are so gracious. Everything we have is by grace. You created, you sustain, you save, you redeem, you keep us saved, all by grace. We deserve none of it. We deserve your wrath. For Lord, we were all born sinful, we are all born rebellious, we are all born trying to live in a way that makes much of ourselves and little of you. And yet you save us by grace that we would see your beauty, that we'd see your glory, that we would see your majesty. And you promise that every time we pray, you will give us more knowledge, more wisdom, more understanding, that we would see you as glorious. And we'd grow in the joy of our salvation and our thankfulness, and we'd live every single day unto you, satisfied in all that you give us in Christ. God, I pray that we as a church would grow in knowledge. 
May we pray that for ourselves. May we pray it for our families. May we pray it for our church. May we pray it for every believer in this world, whether we know them or we don't know them, because we all need your knowledge, that we live the life that you've called us to, that we'd be thankful, that we'd endure the trials that you've called us to. And God, we just thank you again, knowing that as we pray this prayer, you're already answering it through your spirit that dwells in us. You're applying the very truths that we looked at today into our life. And I pray that we will never stop praying this prayer. Lord, help us to pray for the deep realities of your word, that we'd grow in the knowledge of you, that we'd have the mind of Christ, and we'd live like you at all times. In your name, Jesus, amen.